Christmas song, and it is, but when Isaac Watts wrote it, he wasn't thinking specifically of Christmas. He based this song, or this song on Psalm 98. And he said that he was writing this and other hymns as if, as if David were a New Testament Christian from the perspective of the New Testament, knowing what we know as New Testament Christians. And so Psalm 98 talks about rejoicing because the Lord is coming to judge the earth. But this one says the Lord is come because he has. properly tonight, so we're going to sing verses 1 and 4. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I can lead silently. <laughs> 258. He hideth my soul. Let's sing verses uh, first and fourth stanzas. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 
Come, they told me, and the next line is Parapapapam, a newborn king to see. And the other part says Parapapapam. I'll avoid, I'll skip that part. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king so to honor him when we come. Baby Jesus, I am poor boy too. A poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king. Shall I play for you on my drum? Mary nodded. Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Then he smiled at me and my drum. Now, I don't remember reading in Matthew and Mark and Luke or Luke about a drummer boy being there at the manger, do you? If you do, you got a funny Bible there. Well, was this drummer boy a part of the Christmas story? I don't remember reading about him because we do read about wise men coming to bring gifts and not about a drummer boy. No poor drummer boy. Another well-known character in the Christmas story and tonight is about and the next four Sundays or Wednesdays will be about characters of the Christmas story. Another well-known Christmas story character is an adult man. All know about this man from legend. The consistent theme of this man at Christmas time is his generosity and humility. Also known for his big belly, which indicates he was not an athlete. He spent his inheritance from his parents, his father, to support the poor. No doubt he was not a Democrat. Cleverly dropping coins into their shoes. Dropping coins down a family's chimney one time because they were poor and the father had no dowry for his daughter. Therefore, she would never be married. And so you heard about that. And this man, well known at Christmas time, actually he is so well known, he's next to Mary as far as popularity on Christmas time. He dropped coins down a family's chimney three different times to relieve the young woman's desperation for cash. Other versions of that story has him leaving money through a window. Who is this man? Now these acts of kindness became legendary and it inspired the modern character known as Santa Claus or Father Christmas. He raised three children from the dead. So goes the legend. It kind of grew. The legend is that three boys or three, three children, not boys, but three children were put into a barrel Put into a barrel of something and they had perished and when he heard about that he raised them from the dead pretty interesting and so the acts of kindness is what made this man legendary and popular around Christmas time but in 1930s the 1930s a version was depicted of him that lasted and has lasted since then became the standard a, an overweight, older, white man, happy, red-nosed, white beard, red outfit with a fur trim. 
And of course, that image is given to this guy called Santa Claus. Now, these these things, these traditional things about Christmas time and many other things, songs even, they, what should we think about these things? Uh, are they evil? Are they kind of bad? Are they non-biblical? How do we look about these things? This is leading me to teach tonight about some Bible characters of Christmas. And these characters seem to be around at Christmas every time, every year, and ever since I've been a kid, a kid and same, same with you, since you've been born in America or live in America, you've heard about Santa Claus, and you heard about the drummer boy, you heard about uh, Jingle Bells, and you heard about the uh, rough red-nosed reindeer. They're all popular traditional things. And uh, Rudolph, of course, Created in 1939. You know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen and Comet and Cupid and Stupid. I mean, <laughs> uh, Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? <laughs> Rudolph and the Burl Live sang that song, made it very famous, but also uh, obviously accepted in traditional Christmas time. Uh, it's a winter, it's a Cold weather, cold season, feel good, sentimental songs, folklore. Uh, it's about goodwill, giving, cheerfulness for just a short time. Now, I asked the question as I introduced uh, coming into the characters of Christmas uh, is the sentiment to be appreciated about being nice to people, being kind to people, being generous, being giving, being warm hearted toward people? Is that a good thing? It is a good thing. Especially in a world where it's so mean and so so violent and so offended all the time and so harsh with one another, so impatient with people, uh, it's always nice around Christmas time for having to have people a little bit more kind, a little bit toned down, a little bit relaxed, a little bit not so agitated, not so high strong. It's kind of nice about that, and Christmas songs do that to you. They may not be biblical songs, and the Christmas things like uh, Drummer Boy who brought because he was poor, only a drum to parapapapam. And the Lord and Mary said, it's okay, do you like that? Yes, and with Jesus, yes, fine. And so those things are just sentimental, nice, um, nice things, humility. And of course, Santa Claus, there's a lot of things about him that's not biblical. And we would never say, the things attributed to Santa, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, because I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Does he? He knows if you've been bad or good. Does he? So be good for goodness sake, really. Well, someone else is coming to town that should get the attention. But it's not Santa Claus. It's not Santa Claus. Oh, by the way, the tradition of Santa Claus comes down the chimney. Do you know where that came from? Some of you may know. He what? He threw coins down the chimney anonymously three different times to one home. My question about that is, wouldn't that get hot, the coins? It could not be currency. Interesting how things go on and are embellished. So these are some of the things about Christmas. They're not biblical characters. And you do know that there are biblical characters around the Christmas story. And we'll just go through Matthew and Luke to see over the next four Wednesdays. And the first one you see is found in Matthew chapter 1. Let's go Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, 
Luke chapter 1 and 2 are the stories about the birth of Christ. And so those, those are the characters you find in the Christmas story. I'll try to cover some of them. There's maybe 12. And it won't cover everything or everyone in one evening naturally. But the sentiments of Christmas, be nice, be friendly, it's all appreciated and it's all okay, it's good. Um, I may get into the things of Christmas. Some of them are really scorned by Bible-believing Christians because they are pagan in origin, they say, they claim, and the Christmas tree and the lights and everything else all have pagan roots. And some people are very vehement about this. They're very, very strong about this. And if you say uh, we have a Christmas tree in our home or if we have a Christmas wreath or a Yule log, they say, well, do you know the history of the tree and the log and the lights and all these kind of things? Maybe you do or don't, but the fact is uh, we as Christians do not look at the tree as anything, but we like Christmas, we like the lights, we like the warm feeling, all these things. And it's a tradition, not evil tradition. So everyone persuaded in his own mind. And uh, we, we try to impose our convictions on people and preach harshly and hard against the Christmas tree or against some of the Christmas things and against Santa Claus. But really, um, if you do that, what really happens to people when you do that? When you approach Santa Claus as if he is the devil and you preach hard against him as if he is the Antichrist. Well, you know, he is not God. He has been given the qualities of deity. He knows everything. He sees everything. That is not true. But it's very, very possible to teach against Santa Claus without being, being so mean. You know what I mean? And we should be wise about that and consider how people think of Christians who are so firm about every single thing and they are right about every single thing and you dare not contradict them because they will, as they say in some place in the South, they'll rip your face off, which is to say they'll just jump on you and pounce on you. It's as if if you discredit them, like how the woke people, if you discredit them, they will burn your building down, they will egg your shop, they will throw things at you if you disagree with them. And this is the culture today, but we, just, we should not let people think of Christians like that. So we do appreciate some things about the traditions of Christmas, but let's look at the Bible account of the characters of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1. The first character is Joseph because he's mentioned first in this chapter. There's a genealogy in Matthew and in Luke. One's about Mary, one's about Joseph, uh, both in the line of David, but in Matthew chapter 1 verse number 18 now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise in other words here's how it happened when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost I think last year I spent oh maybe 45 minutes about the betrothal process and how it works between the families and between the two couple the couple and how there was a period of separation between the two before they actually uh, formalized the marriage before they had the wedding ceremony and everything became okay now your husband and wife well the Mary and Joseph are uh, uh, betrothed to each other and they're espoused to each other but during that period of when they were not together she's found with child so this is a real confusing thing to Joseph it's a shock to Joseph as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. So she is, she is going to have a baby. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband. Well, he is her husband, 
but she, he is not her husband and she is not his wife, although they are, because they haven't gone through the process yet of being separated uh, totally for almost a year, perhaps, and then they would come together and then they would live together as husband and wife. So they haven't come together yet. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. <coughs> and so when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, this was a shock to him. It was very much, what? It so distressed him. It so upset him. Now, it doesn't say that it upset him. It doesn't say that it distressed him. But you and I can imagine what a man would feel like if he was engaged to a wife, uh, a woman, believed that she is virtuous, that she is pure, and that she is wholesome, and she is godly. And then you find out that she is great with child. And it shows. It shows. And so it was distressing. It was disheartening. It was a shock to say the least. And so uh, you find that Joseph, our first character in the Bible story, was very, I would say, distressed. So much so, he's going to break off the wedding and the marriage. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Being a just man means that he was a law-abiding man. He knew what the law said about fornication, adultery. He knew what the law said. And so he's a just man. He does not want to be a lawbreaker. He wants to fulfill the law, and yet he loves this woman whom he thought was a virgin, and he's a just man. He's a good man in every sense of the word. And not willing to make her a public example, not have her stoned publicly, not divorcing her, making a big scene about this. How embarrassing, how humiliating this would be if this fine young godly couple is about to get a divorce, is about to split up before they actually are husband and wife. Oh, what a predicament he was in. And can you appreciate his feelings? Was minded to put her away privily. How can I how can I do this, fulfill the law, and yet not embarrass her, not humiliate her publicly? Oh, this is gonna look so bad. What will everyone think? This is so this is such a I can't believe this. Was minded to put her away privily. So Joseph is a man of compliance. He's a man of compliance, and he is a man who is just a decent man, a good man, law-abiding man, but he's a loving man. He wants to not embarrass her or shame her, but what is he going to do? Verse 20, while he thought on these things, I suppose he thought on these things all the time. While he thought on these things, every moment of the day, every moment when he was awake while he's working, every moment of the day, he is thinking about what am I going to do? This is a total shock. Well, he thought of these things. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, 
did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And so because he thought about the situation so much, it was on his mind. When he went to sleep, he wasn't getting any rest. He went to sleep at night, but he didn't get any rest because he was so consumed by the thought of mind. He may have fallen asleep. When he fell asleep because of exhaustion, just getting wiped out and tired and so on, when he fell asleep, he still had that on his mind. Mary is pregnant. How is this possible? I'm not the father. How is this possible? Oh, what am I going to do? Divorce. Oh, the, the fulfilling of the law is, what can I do? And so it's pressing on his mind so much. So have you ever thought about something throughout the day or for the few for a few days, you just couldn't get out of your head? Uh, it could be things that you worry about. It could be things that you fear. And your mind is pressing on what you are afraid of or thinking about might happen. You're afraid about things. And uh, you just can't sleep. You get up, stay up, go back to sleep for minutes, go back to sleep again, get up. And you just you just in turmoil inwardly, inwardly. And so Joseph was like that. Uh, Joseph, though, got a visit from the angel in a dream. And the angel said these things to him. And these things soothed his restless heart. The things the angel said about the child that Mary was carrying soothed him so much so that he said, okay, I understand this. Don't understand everything, but I understand this, and I will go ahead and continue on our path, and we shall be husband and wife in due time. So he was convinced that the angel spoke the truth to him. He was convinced that this dream was God speaking to him, and he was convinced that this is of the Holy Ghost. This is not because she was promiscuous it's not because she was unfaithful it was because she was a chosen vessel by the Lord and that she would bring forth the Son of God and once he realized that verse 24 then Joseph being just uh, being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus and so Joseph is a compliant man he's a He's a God-fearing man. He is a law-abiding man. He is a man who is a decent man in every sense of the word. But he was in compliment. He accepted what the angel told him. So he wakes up with a different attitude, a different viewpoint about the serious situation. And everything has flipped. Everything has changed. From oh no to oh okay. So this is what's going on. What a change from night to day, from day to night. What a big difference. 180 degree swing of Oh, to oh, can you appreciate how he must have felt in both both uh, both things? Beginning bad news, and then the good news. So the Lord came to him in a dream. Now along that line, you must be careful not to depend on dreams and visions and other revelations from an angel as your guide for what to do. Many times people will. This is the okay. What does it mean? Part. Many people will believe that because of this account that God still uses angels to speak to people through their dreams well remember that he was dreaming because remember that he on his mind was about the situation with his wife therefore he, he could not escape that and so he, he, he dreamed about it or I shouldn't dream about it he was so much on his mind angel had to come and talk to him he could have came and talked to him when he was awake I'm sure <laughs> When he was uh, doing some carpentry, taking a break, maybe before he 
uh, you know how they say measure twice, cut once before he's got to measure twice. Um, the angel says, hey, excuse me, um, oh, who are you? Wait, wait, I never saw you. Do I know you? I never saw you before in this town. Are you a strange? No, he says, I am. Now, can you imagine the angel coming to him when he was awake? He could have done that, but he came in a dream. Now, remember that dreams and angels and visitation, revelations, and all these kind of things did take place quite commonly, but then when the Old Testament uh, was completed and the New Testament completed, it sure looks like God has chosen another way to get information to you and revelation to you and uh, insight to you in a different form, a more reliable form. What is that more reliable form? What is that more sure word of prophecy according to 1 Peter? The word of God. And so don't depend upon uh, dreams or an angel coming to you as, okay, you are the answer to my prayers. Because often today, that would mislead you to make a wrong decision. You marry the wrong person, make a wrong financial decision, you will uh, do a lot of wrong things in trying to know what God wants to do if you depend upon something like dreams. So don't depend on that. Depend on what the Bible says. Go to a Bible statement and a Bible principle or a Bible principle and draw from that something that applies to a situation and that's how you get communication from God primarily today. So don't depend on exterior things. Depend on something that's from the Word of God on the inside. And so uh, he is compliant. He, he goes on and does what they had planned to do and they would be married. And then verse 25 is the good news here. He knew not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. And so that's a great chapter right there. Now, as you go to chapter two, you have two, two kinds of people that we may look at, uh, not in quite detail, but in passing. Verse number one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, okay, Herod the king, he's character, isn't he? He's a real character in every sense of the word. He's a character that he's evil, his family's evil, his dad is evil, his grandfather's evil, and they're all evil. The Herods are vicious, bloodthirsty, I wouldn't call them leaders, but rulers. And I say that with um, evil rulers, adjective, evil rulers. And Herod the king, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, Another group of people, the characters in the Bible story of Christmas, uh, came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Uh, these wise men probably came from a place like Persia. They came far, far away, down to Jerusalem. And look at verse 2, what they're asking about. These are characters of Christmas, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Well, Numbers 24, 17, 24, 17, Jeremiah 23, 5, and Zechariah 9, 9 are references that you might want to look up sometime about the star that they saw. And so these wise men from the east, some say that these wise men are astrologers. Uh, they were people who studied the stars. They tried to interpret what stars mean. And uh, there's a good book, um, not referred to a lot, but it's by a uh, Calvinist named Bollinger. And he had a book called The Gospel in the Stars, where uh, Leo the Lion represents Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and other other configurations in the in the heavens that you can connect. Some of them I don't understand how you can connect them because okay, this is the Big Dipper, this is the Little Dipper. Let's say if you drew a line like that and like that, then you can maybe imagine it to be a dipper and a, a little dipper, and a Leo the, and the Lion and Virgo and all these kind of things. You must use your imagination too to kind of connect it like that. 
well, whatever, he used that uh, the stars to be uh, a thesis for his uh, notion that God is trying to communicate to mankind through the stars. Maybe so. The Psalms do say that the, the stars, they sing and they speak, they preach. Well, maybe in a literal way. Could be. And so these wise men from the east, they travel down to Jerusalem and they're saying, they're asking people, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They were telling the truth. They did sincerely come down to worship them, travel very far, maybe up to four, five, even six months, and are come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was happy and could not contain his joy because of a competitor king and all Jerusalem with him. Troubled and all Jerusalem with them. Verse 4. And when he has gathered the chief priests and scribes, these are other characters in the Bible story of Christmas, and then gathered all the chief priests and scribes, these are the people who ought to know what the Bible says from the Old Testament. These are people who copied scripture, the scribes. These are people who studied the scriptures as their livelihood and as their ministry. When they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So Herod really wanted to know. To worship him? Well, let's see. Verse 5. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, because the Old Testament scripture did say where he was going to be born. Now, do you know that the Book of Mormon does say that Jesus was born in Jerusalem? Well, the Bible says, the Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. And these scribes and these chief priests, they knew what the scripture said. Uh, their problem was not ignorance of the scriptures. Their problem was they were adding to the scriptures, their traditions to make their traditions uh, equal to the Bible and even superior to it. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And now Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, a ruler, and that shall rule my people Israel. Micah 5 2. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently. He really wanted to know where this Jesus, this newborn king, was going to come, where he's going to come from. And inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again. Let me know. Tell me when you find him. And what way of communication, what form of communication would this be? Send the messenger back to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Okay, Herod, a murderer, a killer, is in the DNA. He now wants to change his DNA. He now wants to change his spots as a leper. He now wants to be a different man. He now is so happy he wants to come and worship this baby Jesus, this newborn king. Really? Now, if people, if the wise men were wise, they would say, uh, hmm. They may not have said to his face. But among themselves, when they're out of his presence, they said, you know what? This guy's a liar. This man is a liar. He doesn't want to come and worship baby Jesus. He wants to come and kill him. We know his history if they did. You don't just change like that. What you are is what you are. What he was is what he was. 
And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, I don't see him smiling, a cheesy smile, but I find him, I find him in my imagination talking to them in a very uh, compelling, uh, persuasive way. Or maybe just, he said very dryly, hey, you know, when you find him, let me know. That's an order. Because I want to worship him too. You know, however he said it, uh, I think, my guess is I think they knew this man is just a big, fat, or a big skinny, or a tall, or a short liar. Verse 9, and when they had heard the king, they departed. He was dismissed. He dismissed them, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So time has passed, hasn't it? They're looking for the baby at first. Now he's a young child. Time has gone by. It's taken a while. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, not a manger, he's not a baby anymore. When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, young child, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. So it is true. The wise men did come from a long, long way to sincerely come and worship Jesus. They were sincere about that. They wanted to come and pay respect to him and give him due honor and worship. And fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, golden, frankincense, and myrrh. Talked about the three gifts on Sunday at 9.30. And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. But they were supposed to go back. They disobeyed the law. They disobeyed the king. They disobeyed the sheriff. And they departed into their own country another way. Because they knew that he did not mean it when he said, I want to worship him as well. Verse 13. When they were departed. So the characters of Christmas are Herod so far. Joseph's by Herod. And then the wise men. And a short reference to the chief priests and scribes in verse 13. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt, be, uh, be thou, and be thou there until I, ha I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And uh, Little side question is why couldn't Angel um, talk to him in a in another way besides in a dream? That's a mystery. I don't think I'll ever find out why. God only spoke to him twice now in a dream. Not too important, but the fact is it was twice now in a dream. Verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and he was there unto the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken from the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, this is so typical of potentates and dictators, was exceeding wroth. Now, that just simply means he was very, 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 very mad. He wasn't just mad. He was very, very, very mad. He was so mad he could, he was spitting fire. He was so mad, you look at him the wrong way, he'd cut your head off. Then Herod, when he saw that there was mocked by the wise men, was exceeding wrong. I like how the King's Bible is real clear in how it expresses the feelings of people and makes you makes you know exactly 
what this man was thinking, exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in the coast of thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Well, Herod then, as we can see from his pattern and from his life and from his family uh, tree, is a murderer, thinks not at all about killing babies. Didn't say just boys, but it says children. All the children that were in Bethlehem. You think about Hamas being cruel, killing babies. What about this Herod over here? Equally as cruel. Now, when it comes to Herod and talking about him as a character of Christmas, he is the he is the opposite, total opposite of Joseph. A total opposite of Joseph. Joseph was a good man. He was a man who was a law-keeping man. He was a compassionate man. He was a merciful man. He was a man of grace. But here is Herod with all the power in the world almost. He could do a lot of good, but he chose to be what he was. Maybe he didn't have a choice. Well, maybe so. However, quite a different character than Joseph. Quite a different character than Joseph. Verse 18, in Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children that would not be comforted because they are not. You can appreciate and feel the sorrow and the great cry throughout the land when all these children were killed. The word is slaughtered. Killed is harsh enough, but slaughtered is harsher and more indicative of the character that Herod was. Yeah, there are so many people, I'll, I'll add to this one. There's so many people in the history of the ancient world in which you rule, well, first of all, you conquer by the sword and you kill off all your potential enemies. So you kill them off, you spoil them, and then you make sure that you will not have an uprising in a few years time. So absolute brutality uh, this is the the nature of a, a people a race a country a, a dictator a potentate a king without any compassion at all in his heart is it possible for people to come to this place it is possible history says it is possible the only deterrent of that kind of a mind and that kind of a heart is when God comes into the life and Christ intercepts their intercept their path of destruction and, and uh, brutality. Uh, we talk about Hamas being evil. We talk about Saddam Hussein being evil and all those people being so vile and so wicked and uh, killing in the name of their religion. The only thing that can change that is not you impose upon them, okay, you got to follow the Constitution, you got to follow Bill of Rights, you got to follow them. No, 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 that would not do anything because that's all exterior. You must address the heart of the matter, which is always the heart. And the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God does. And what can change a man? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Therefore, the solution to all this corruption and evil is that they embrace Christ as Savior, be saved, and then he changes them from the inside out, and then they will not do the same thing they did before. There are stories about the cannibals of the Hebrides Islands and how uh, British sailors uh, would, would hate to go by there because of the cannibalism that went on and then missionaries came out there eventually and then slowly one by one 
these cannibals would get converted to Christ and they would stop becoming cannibals. And then later on, uh, anthropologists who criticized the Mishnahs who went to the Near Hebrides and said, you folks have interfered with their culture. You folks have put on them, you, you've dressed them up, you made them wear pants and shirts, you put on clothes and dresses on the women, and they can't be themselves anymore. You folks have done great damage to the culture. And all they can say in, in, uh, 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 in such a way where they say, well, you know, if, if you'd gone to the Near Hebrides before the missionaries got there, you'd be lunch. They'd boil a pot of hot water. But you can go there and check out the culture and be an anthropologist, check this out. You do that without uh, fear of being eaten. If it wasn't for the gospel and those missionaries going over there, then of course it's a different story. People are just really blind sometimes to what, how, how effective, how powerful the gospel is. And Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, Herod was not a recipient of it. And yet, you have the, the brutal story of, in, in, in Christmas story, you have these characters. Herod is just a bad, they say today in the media, bad actor. Well, no, he wasn't an actor. Uh, and I guess that actor may not be but a reference to in this drama, this play of life between good and evil. He's a bad character, bad actor. Okay, maybe so, but this man is an evil man in his heart. And there's only one thing that can change a man's evil heart, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm going to stop over here because I want to get to more of them. There's John the Baptist. He's a part of the Christmas story. And uh, he was born a little bit earlier than Jesus, wasn't he? There's Elizabeth, there's Anna, and there's other characters. So we'll get to them, all right? Okay. Oh, by the way, how many wise men were there? You don't know? There were three. You know how you know there's three? Because the Christmas card said so. The Christmas card painting has three wise men on camels, so it must be true. And the song says, we three men of Orient are. It must be true. The only thing true about the non-Bible narrative is that they brought gold, myrrh, and frankincense. they brought three gifts. And they say there were three because there were three gifts, but would you, would you travel across hundreds of miles of desert with thieves and pirates all around and um, with just just three kings are you are you really that's you need a security detail don't you uh, today when a president travels even after he's out of office he has a security detail all around to keep him safe and so would you think three kings would be traveling from such a long distance alone I don't think so you'd have people come with you that are security people that are coming with you on other animals camels uh, with supplies food water uh, water bed uh, jacuzzi um, uh, night lights and uh, air conditioning and everything else like that coming with you to keep you comfortable if you're a king or if you're a wise man I mean if you're wise you come feeling pretty safe that you can make a round trip you, you won't go uh, defeat thieves and robbers just by yourself unless you have a gatling gun now, if you had a gatling gun you'd have an advantage. That'd be really good. You'd feel really safe with a Gatling gun. 1,200 rounds per, per minute, that is an advantage. No one's gonna attack you. But of course, we're just making things up. 
What it's not made up is there were not three wise men that brought three gifts and there probably was a train, not a train as in choo-choo, but a, a long group, a large group of people that came with them, perhaps a hundred or more. Who can tell? The more important the character, the more people you have surrounding him for security and supplies. That makes sense. And so um, here they come and they did find him and they did worship him like they said. It is said that wise men still seek him and that is true. The wise man today will realize how helpless he is without Christ in his life and how empty his life is without Christ's life and he would be wise to seek him. I mean, he's tried everything else to make happy. He's tried money, he's tried popularity, he's tried material things, he's tried uh, a position in life. He's got all those kind of things. He's a household name, yet he's empty on the inside. Well, how about you try something different? How about you try Jesus Christ for once? If you're wise, you say, uh, if you're doing the finances, you say, okay, my investments are not working because this, this, this. Okay, so you change your, your strategy. But uh, if you don't, you're not wise. And if a man's not at peace um, when he sleeps or when he goes through his day with everything that he can have, can you imagine if he could get everything he wants? Can you imagine that? What would you What would you get if you could imagine that with a snap of a finger? Or if you said, if you said, uh, look, um, I saw this on Amazon. I want to get that one. Okay, just just do it. Okay. Oh, uh, I was walking by Neiman Marcus. I want to get three of these shirts. Okay. Yeah, I don't care how much it costs. Just get it. And you know, I was walking by uh, Waikiki, and that uh, uh, I saw this uh, Tesla. Is that Tesla or Tesla? This Tesla shop, and I want to get me a black one for Monday, and a white one for Tuesday, and a red one for Wednesday, and yeah, right. I just want to get three. Just go ahead. Just charge it to my account. Just tell them it's me. So just do that. If you could do that, would you, what would you get? Well, whatever it is that you'd like to get, wherever it is you'd like to go, and whatever it is you want to have, you get it all. After about three months, you'd be bored. <laughs> you'd be bored after three months. After six months, you'd be tired of everything. You'd be so tired of everything. There's people who live on cruise ships. They say it's cheaper than buying an apartment or a condo. Paid all the other expenses for that. They live on a cruise ship. They say, this is great. Meet new people every week or two. Travel to the same places sometimes, but that's okay. All the food I don't have to cook. I have maid service all the time. This is great. Some people do that because it is a financial advantage for them. But if you could do that just for fun and everything and have every toy that you want, would you be happy? People think they will be. But God has made our hearts where it is not complete until He fills it. And that is true. So when I think of Herod, I think of the evil man that he was. I also think about the sad man that he was because he really uh, didn't have a whole lot, really. He gained the whole world, but he's lost his own soul. Tragedy. It's a tragedy. Okay. All right. Let's uh, dismiss for tonight, and we'll cover some more of these characters of Christmas next time we come on a Wednesday night. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. We pray that you help us to see the true story of Christ and the characters around Christmas time, and may we learn some lessons from these people. And they're not just historical figures, but they teach spiritual lessons and moral lessons. And we pray that you help us to uh, draw from uh, these accounts and learn from it. And don't make the mistakes that others have made, but learn from them. 
and see the truth that uh, there is no hope if there's no God in our lives. But with Christ in our lives, there's a living hope. It's a real hope. And there's a real peace and happiness that you give to us because we know your Son as Savior. And so we pray that you bless this month. May every service be Christ exalting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.